honestly, I was just working my way up to death. I thought about killing myself every day. I was using all the time, and I, that's not a sustainable lifestyle. My brother shot himself because of drugs. When you are using technology to lure children for sexual purposes, there's a couple of problems that concern me. But I remember feeling kind of relieved after hurting myself. Do you have any idea how much you were worth? I like to say it this way, great people are really built in the furnace of affliction. Our teens are navigating a world of information anarchy and increased stress and pressure. Drugs are glorified more than ever before and there seems to be a suicide option that didn't exist prior. As adults, we are responsible to provide the help at-risk teens need. Have teens changed or is it just the world they live in that's different? Is this why so many teens are traumatized or triggered? My name is Aaron Huey and in 2009, I opened a home for these teens with the hopes of giving them a second chance at creating the life we all know they deserve. Now I want to give parents the information that contributed to our success and to support them in navigating the at-risk world. These are the stories told by the teens and the techniques used by experts to help them. Welcome to Beyond Risk and Back. I have uh, two younger brothers, and it dawns on me in this moment as I'm about to talk to my next guest that I've never really had a conversation with them about uh, revealing to the family that I was an addict and going through treatment and stuff like that. However, uh, I have apologized to both of them, and they have both told me that they were really proud of me for what I had accomplished. But there's more to it. And it's something that gets overlooked when you've got someone in treatment is how the siblings are doing. Running an adolescent treatment facility and hearing parents say things like, should we bring the other younger kids? Well, that's always between the therapist and the parents, the younger kids and the kid in recovery. That's something they've ought to all have to figure out. Jerry Moe is uh, with the Betty Ford Center Hazelton, is it Hazelton Betty Ford? It's Hazelton Betty Ford Foundation, but I'm um, located at the Betty Ford Center. I have been the last almost 21 years. Got it. Uh, he's the national director of their children's program. And he wants to talk about the sibling factor. What happens to the younger brothers and sisters? What happens with the older brothers and sisters when a family member's in treatment? Uh, Jerry, I want to I wanna start with how long you've been doing this, because you told me. I want the families, the moms, to hear how long you've been doing this, because uh, it, it makes you an expert, quite frankly. You've been doing this a bit. So in the last 41 years, I've been doing this at three different treatment centers. Always a focus on children. Young children, you know, primarily children between the ages of 7 to 12. So I want to get these boys and girls before they pick up that first drink, or that first drug, or that first cigarette. Because we know that addiction tends to run in families. So you're also you're also saying that that getting in touch with the siblings while someone is in treatment is also an early intervention piece. It's an early intervention piece for everyone. You know, so often when boys and girls come to our children's program, and and here in Colorado, it's a four-day all-day program. So we're going to spend 25 hours with with boys and girls, and, and so many of them after a day with us say, geez, thank you for explaining 
what's been going on with my brother or sister because no one's explained it to me. Like sometimes people don't think that I know that something is terribly wrong. You know, that's my sister that I love with all my heart. And all of a sudden, she's not talking to me anymore. And she's never home. And a couple of times I've caught her coming in late and she asks me to cover for her with mom and dad when I know that's not a good thing. And, you know, and that's a traumatic experience. It's a traumatic experience for kids. Now, unfortunately, when no one explains it to kids, and often the reason is parents are consumed with what's going on with their teenager, who's got a disease that's fatal potentially. We need to focus on that. Um, and so when no one explains it to that eight-year-old, that 10-year-old, they know something's wrong. Maybe they can connect the dots to alcohol and drugs. Maybe they can't. And when kids aren't sure, they make up a story for it all to make sense. And unfortunately, part of that story is, did I do something wrong? Is there, a, is there an age in your expertise that you would say, nah, it's too young, you're gonna keep you're gonna keep the explanation short and simple and we're not gonna go into detail. We can always keep the explanation short and simple and make sure that it's age appropriate. But through the years I've worked with four and five year olds who are real clear what the issue is, even though no one talks about it. So kids know and no one validating their experience sometimes makes little boys and girls think they're going crazy. So we got to start this conversation out of this gate because this is, this is a hammer. Like, like I know parents are listening to this and, you know, the older siblings been cotton on themselves and uh, the anxiety is overwhelming. They're not going to school and mom's driving the younger kid to school and the younger kid's sitting in the back seat and can feel the thickness that everybody's walking on eggshells around someone that you remember going to Disneyland with four years ago and everything was awesome and now the entire family your older sibling your younger sibling has suddenly become this identified patient of the family and you might be feeling left in the cold and the, the parents are sideways they're fighting about your older brother or sister they're they're <sighs> This is, this is a heavy one. Well, and they get consumed by the crisis, and rightfully so. Let me give you an example that really tore at my heart. 17-year-old girl, um, clean and sober, 17 months. And, and so the 17-year-old brings younger sister to the children's program. She wants to clean up that relationship. And if you think about it, who better to tell on your disease and someone who loves you non-judgmentally and who looks up to you as an older brother or sister. So that part is incredibly powerful for the adolescent in early recovery to be told about their illness. Some things they don't even remember from a younger brother or sister who just wants to reestablish that relationship and who misses them and wants to be there for them. And so you have the benefit of that adolescent who, um, who will get to, let me give you an example. Let's, let's make it real. The third day of our children's program, we do a circle. And, and, and usually kids are brought by a parent or a grandparent, but not unusual for an adolescent. And so, young boy, 10 years old, is there with his 18-year-old brother. The end of the second day, the first two days are just for kids because we need to bring them up to speed, explain the disease teach him a, a, a language of healing and prepare them. At the end of the second day, kids write a story. This is what happened to our family with addiction. We make addiction the enemy. 
everybody else gets taken hostage. That person with the disease is suffering with the disease. They're still a person. Don't make them the disease. And so here this 10-year-old sits across from 17-year-old. And what's different is that when it's a parent and a kid, there's a power differential. It's your parent. But when it's siblings, so much of that stuff is gone. And so a little boy sits across. Oh, my God, I'm going to get emotional. Before we could even start, I just had them look at each other. They both started crying. So think about it. That disease did not start with that adolescent. It's been in the family for generations. It's those two adolescents that are changing the legacy and kicking the disease out. And so that 10-year-old decided they didn't want to read the story to their older sibling. They just wanted to talk. And I mean, talk from the heart. So the 10-year-old said, I lost you. I was so sad. I love you. I always looked up to you. Then you started calling me names. And you started stealing my things. And you asked me to cover for you. I was so afraid. I was going to lose you. I love you. Straight from the heart. And all the adolescent could do was listen. This isn't about defense. Just about listening. Exquisite piece of work. You know, both in tears, both able to talk a little bit about dad's addiction. Spend the elephant in the living room. Yeah. I asked the 10-year-old, is there anything else you want to say? Is there anything else on your heart that you need to let go of today? And 10-year-old looked at an older sibling and said, yeah. What hurt me most of all is the night you came into my room and you thought I was asleep. I wasn't asleep. And you got the medal that was given to me when Grandpa died. That meant the most to me. And you took it, and you sold it. And I'll never have it again. That adolescent heard that story and had no, no recollection of it. Knew it was true. Knew it was true. We went through this process on the third day. We were able to hug afterwards. So the adolescent sought me out before the day was over and said, I've been working on my recovery for 17 months. I've had ups, I've had downs. I'm still clean and sober. But today was the most meaningful experience of my entire healing. Today motivates me even more to want to stay clean and sober and to work a solid recovery program. Because finally, I had someone in my life that I loved that was able to tell on my disease without judgment, without anger, but straight up. That's what I'm like in my disease. And there is no way in the world I'm ever going back to it. So in the Colorado Children's Program, when we get the opportunity, it's great for the child, it's great for that little kid to be in a room with other little kids dealing with it. It's equally good for that adolescent to just deepen and renew where they are. You know, it's hard to stay clean and sober when you're adult, when you're an adult. I think it's even harder 
to stay clean and sober when you're an adolescent for so many different reasons. And so families healing, you know, I've believed all these years working in treatment that it's the guilt and the shame that people carry that really trigger relapse. It's our relationships, the painfulness of our relationships that often trigger relapse. And helping siblings, little ones and adolescent ones clear out some of that guilt and shame, you know, for that 10 year old to say, look, I love you. Don't want to lose you. Keep working on your recovery. You have my complete support. Keep doing it. That's huge in terms of letting go of some of what that adolescent carries around in terms of, you know, what they did in their business. How on earth have facilities missed this? It's a missing piece. You know, and, and I'll tell you that in, 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 the, in the movement, in the children who come from addicted families movement, the apex of the movement was in the 1980s, mid-1980s, late 1980s. There were over 500 programs in the United States that did what I'm talking about. Over 100 in the state of Texas. Now, you might ask, why Texas? Yeah, why Texas? Because the governor was Ann Richards, who was in recovery. She got it. She understood. She knew where to put the money for prevention and early intervention. Today, there's probably... 17 or 18 programs and it is a missing piece it's a missing piece not only for those younger siblings to understand they're at risk too you know, I had a 12 year old girl sit with me one time there with her older brother and she finally said to me and was able to tell her mom said what do i need to do to get your attention do i need to start using drugs because in recovery you're driving my brother to meetings all the time and i don't mind you driving your i don't mind you driving him i know he needs that what about me what about me what about me where do i fit in and all and so it's, you're right, it's, it's a missing piece that is so simple and that helps everybody in a family system. And I, you know, for the longest time in doing this, whenever I see an adolescent where this disease is present, you know, the first question I want to ask, where else is it in the family? Because you know it's there. Of course it is. You know it's there. It's multi-generational. And not dealing with that piece, because you know what, think about this. In the 1990s, I worked at Sierra Tucson, treatment center in Tucson, Arizona. For a short amount of time, yeah, for a short amount of time, we had an adolescent program. And even though I was director of children's program, one of my jobs was to meet with every adolescent before they went home and to help them to balance between going to their own meetings, going to AA, going to NA, doing those things, but also mixing in an Alateen meeting because they're going back in an environment where this disease is active. Right. And if they don't deal with that part of it, you know, that can trip them up as well. Right. And so it, it, it's a huge missing piece. Okay. So I know, first of all, before we continue, uh, it, Jerry, I, I need a longer show with you. I, we can do that anytime you want. Great. It's, it's, we're, yeah. we're, we need to follow up on this okay. piece because I, I, what this has brought me into is Look, not every family's gonna gonna be coming to Hazelton, uh, Hazelton and Betty Ford, and and there are families need to know how to start this intervention piece at home. I need to know first how does a parent talk to a younger sibling about what the older sibling is going through. Okay. Well, uh, let me tell you. That, so the children's program that I run is open to all people. Sure. You don't have to have any connection with Hazelton okay. and Betty Ford. So because we don't have an adolescent pro program. And so people come, you know, they hear about us. And so they come to the program. So here's the answer to your question. And it's not what you're looking for. 
And so what that parent needs to do is they need to begin to heal themselves first. Of course. You know, if you look at the research, research was done finally, you know, and this is research, you know, it's a long time ago, still relevant. And it's like, what are the factors that lessen the impact of family addiction on children? You know, we did all these studies. How are they impacted? Well, we know that. How do we lessen the impact? Number one on the list, the parent that's not addicted. Do they understand this disease? Are they able to express it to their kids in an age-appropriate way? Have they read books? Do they go to 12-step meetings like Naranon and Al-Anon and CODA? Uh, are they continuing to, despite the disease of addiction living in their family, are they able to maintain rituals and roles and structure and consistency? So the answer to the question, first of all, you know, as a parent, I can't give my kids things I don't have. And so as a parent going to get a little bit of help in terms of understanding what this disease is, and then being able to uh, being able to talk to kids and to say, hey, look, you know, in our family, there is this disease that lives inside of people. It's in their brain, impacts their spirit, and it happens through generations. Uh, and it's in our family right now. Your brother has it. Your sister has it, maybe. Your dad has it. Maybe I have it. And here's what we're doing to solve the problem. And I want you to know that it's not your fault. That you've done nothing to have your brother or sister or your parent get this disease. Absolutely nothing to do with you. And unfortunately, you can't make it better for them. Or we would have done that a whole long time ago. But then the key is finding the right program, finding the right counselor, and having parents get professional help to be able to sit with their kids, even if it's only one session. Right. Because parents always fumble with, I want to do it right. I want to do it age appropriate. We have this big myth, kids don't know, so don't tell them anything. Right. Which is, you know, the exact opposite of what the reality it's is. It's crap. <laughs> well, and kids might not know it's addiction but they know something's wrong. Some, the house has come apart. Of course it has. And so and to not validate that it, it is crazy. And so sometimes parents and, and family members, and granted, they're in crisis. I get that. But sometimes the default is we won't say anything because we don't know the right thing to say. And my response as a parent or a grandparent these days or anyone else is sit down. Even until adolescence all the time, you know, you get home from treatment. Sit down with your brother or sister. You know, sometimes I'll get a call from an adolescent saying, I want to bring my brother to your program, but 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 I got to talk to him about it, and I don't know how. And so I'll say, I'll tell you what, let's make a deal. Here's the deal. You got to get parental consent, because I can't talk to your sibling without consent. And then, you know what, we'll start out, let's have a three-way phone call, and I'll explain who I am and, and what I do. I'll help you begin to explain to your younger sibling uh, this is what's going on, and we'd like you to come to a program to learn more about this and to heal your relationship and grow together. Okay, so my, my brain is swimming with this because, it, because you're, Jerry, you're talking about this, and I'm literally sitting here going, how do we all not know this? How do, how do every, every family I've worked with and how many families I has, have asked me, when do I bring my younger sibling in? Do we do that? Is it appropriate? What should I say? And I, and I always defer to the therapist because, you know, I, I have to, not being one. Yeah, yeah. No, no, no. You know, there was a quote in 1982 
from a therapist in Los Angeles, written a couple books named J.L. Greenlee. And, and I won't say the quote verbatim, but she said, it's interesting when we look at treatment, the focus tends to be on the person who has the chronic disease. The rest of the family is either looked upon as being a supporter or a provoker, and the children are ignored and forgotten all over again. 1982, and you know, in so many ways, we're at that same place again. Is part of your process helping families and parents learn how to set the boundaries with the identified patient, the person who's truly struggling with the disease, with the addiction, um, and set boundaries with them so that they can say, listen, I, I know that everything that's going on is really intense for you right now. Your anxiety is very intense. And I need to go spend time with your younger sister because she's got a recital and I've skipped two of them taking you. Is this- is yeah, we'll, help, we'll help parents begin to see. I think the best way to say it is we learn about the families. They share with us, they open to us. And it's almost as if we hold up a mirror that they hadn't seen. And to say, oh my goodness, you know, how do I balance? How do I balance the amount of time and energy I need to give my child who's in recovery? And that's true, whatever the chronic disease they might have. Because the cancer. fear, if the, if the fear is, if I don't spend this time with them, they're gonna die. Well, of course. But in the process, let's not forget that these are other children that you have. And what, what no one talks about these days, this is from Dr. Stephanie Brown in the San Francisco Bay Area. It's the only one I've ever heard talk about the trauma of early recovery. Early recovery, it's traumatic. So we're changing the rules. The whole thing is changing. And so, and it's not like we're going back to an old life. Man, we're starting a new life. Brand new. And we might not even have a playbook. We, I we have might no not, idea what know, it's gonna look like. You know, I go on um, my iPhone to Maps, and put in early recovery, and I'm hoping Gladys will guide me around. Even Gladys doesn't know my, on the iPhone. My first week in recovery, I remember saying, I cannot picture myself, 40 years old, not sitting on a porch of a cabin high. Yeah, I can't no picture point. it, like my whole life, and, and now I'm 50, yeah. I don't have a cabin, I don't get high. Yeah, and I'm still making this up as I go, there's no map. Well, sure. but, but think about this. And so let's stick with the adolescents. It's the adolescents in recovery. And no one's explained this to the little kid. They don't get it. So all of a sudden now, the sibling I never saw because they were out drinking and using and running around with their friends, now they're going to meetings all the time. Now they're gone for six yeah. months. And they've got all these new friends. None of them have last names. Uh, they're, they're on Jack these... S, Molly Q, <laughs> Robert R. And I got my sibling talking to me in incomplete sentences. Easy does it. What the hell is it? Let go and let God. Let God what? He's, he's walking around with yeah. a mate gourd. And yeah. he's, he's obsessed with this thing. He's drinking mate all the time. I don't know why. Yeah, I'm talking about a higher power. <laughs> is it like, like, oh. like it's an energy company? And so the point is, if we include the whole family, we create greater outcomes. We create better outcomes, not only for the little kid, but for that adolescent who's trying to get better. Because we're able to allow the adolescents able to get to a space to forgive themselves. When, when I go and speak, and I don't get to do it as often as I used to, when I go to speak with adolescents in recovery, in treatment centers, or early recovery, I define the disease in one sentence, and I'll tell you, most of the time it hits them in the heart. And my definition of addiction, because I work with kids that got a simple mind, is simply this, that when you are in your disease, you cannot consistently love the people who mean the most to you. 
That's the disease. That's the disease. That's the disease. And to see adolescents hit the brakes and the very people they love most in the world, especially those younger siblings, you know, they've not been able to live their value system. And instead of loving them consistently, they've done the exact opposite. And boy, what a motivation that can be to begin to turn your life around. Jerry, how are, how are parents listening to this going to get in touch with you, uh, uh, connect with any services that you can offer on how to talk to the younger siblings? A couple, couple of ways. And you know, I will give you the number to the Colorado Children's Program, but I'm afraid I'm going to give the wrong number. Okay. So I'm not going to give that wrong. I'm going to give the direct line to my office Perfect. at the Betty Ford Center in California. So it's 760-773-4103. Let me repeat that again. 760-773-4103. there's any parent out there that you're not sure what to do and you want to talk to your younger kids and make them part of the solution instead of leaving them hanging out there thinking it's their fault, please give me a call. I'll hook you up with our staff here in Colorado. Remember, children's program open to all kids, 7 to 12 years old. And the best thing of all, and this was Betty Ford, who uh, who told us we always needed to do this in her legacy and spirit, and that in our children's program, no one is ever turned away due to an inability to pay. So great service, and hopefully some parents out there, or hey, there's some teenagers out there in recovery. Bless you, I'm proud of you. Uh, to be able to do what you're doing right now, day at a time, and get up every morning, the first thing you say to yourself, what, do I'm, what am I going to do today to stay clean and sober? Have that always be your, your, your rule of thumb. What am I doing today to stay in the solution? Because every day when you wake up, you either recover or you repeat. We never stand still. So there's any adolescent that wants to call up and talk to me about their younger brother or sister, I'll be more than happy to listen. Give the number one more time for a team. Sure. Right to my office. Not going to get anybody else but me. 760-773-4103. I travel a lot. So put that on the voicemail if I'm not there. And my promise to you is I will call you back. Jerry Moe, uh, man, we're, we're going to have you. I'm going to have you back on. This, this needs to be a long conversation. I'm going to be in touch. Uh, I need to get your picture for this little one. But... Uh, Thank you for being on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thanks for all the great work that you were doing. Thank you very much. Parents, the rule is you take care of yourself first. You take care of your adult relationship second. You take care of your children third because when we do those first two things, we're in the best possible space to give these kids the real care that they need. Jerry Moe's my guest. He's going to be back. Stay tuned for that episode. Jerry, thank you one more time. You're welcome. Thanks for giving me the opportunity. I can't believe. I can't believe. We've all missed this one. This one's got to come back. This one's, it's time to make this a comeback. And oh my gosh. Okay, parents, it. I'll see you again next week on Beyond Risk and Back. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Beyond Risk and Back. Join us each week for your connection to experts in adolescent health and wellness, recovery, and responsibility. And also to listen to teens talk about their lives in crisis. For more information on our program for struggling teens or me, please go to firemountainprograms.com, join us on Facebook at Fire Mountain Residential Treatment Center, or at Beyond Risk and Back. Visit our YouTube channel at Fire Mountain RTC for even more support with our parent training videos.
Special thanks to Mental Health News Radio for their continued love and support of our program. Please go to mentalhealthnewsradio.com to see all of their podcasts. Feel free to email me at Aaron at firemountainprograms.com.